Thank you for tuning in to the sermon podcast from Redeeming Hope. We exist as a family of faith that follows Jesus and helps others find him by living all of life as missionaries of hope. If you want more information about our church or would like to support our ministry, go to our website at redeeminghope.org. Please enjoy the sermon podcast. Hey, Redeeming Hope. Good morning. Thank you for joining us this Sunday. This is our first Sunday in the month of Advent. Um, This is a tradition that the church has celebrated for thousands of years, so we're excited to share it with you. And uh, Advent means arrival. It literally means that, that this season of Advent leading up to Christmas is us remembering the, the thousands of years that we waited for the coming Savior. And so every week is kind of leading us up to this pinnacle moment where we remember Christ incarnating, coming into the world in the person of Jesus. And so uh, we can look back over history and we can say probably that Jesus wasn't born on Christmas Day, but that's something that the church for thousands of years has taken as a central point of remembrance. And so um, as a church, we get really excited and we want to engage in this idea of remembering this long period of waiting and then remembering how significant that Christ came into the world. And because of that, we do certain things differently at our gatherings and even in our groups. And so uh, if you are watching this as this video premieres on Sunday, um, Rachel and I are going to be doing a little trip around Clarksville uh, to see our friends. And we're going to be giving you guys a few things if you don't already have them. So the first one is this little card. It's going to be called the Season of Advent. It's just a half page that explains what I just shared with you so that you and your family can join us as we anticipate the coming of arrival of Jesus. Secondly, what we do, and we've been doing this for the past three years as a church, is we have an Advent reading guide. And essentially, um, what we're going to be doing here in a second, we want to invite you guys to do in your homes, which is having a little candle and a little Advent wreath, and then um, every week sitting down with your family and reading just a few simple Bible passages. It just takes a few minutes, and then what we do is you light one additional candle every week in anticipation of the coming of Jesus. And this actually is meant to represent is as you light an additional candle every week, what you're looking forward to is that the coming of Christ. And, and, and it's something that your, your kids can see and observe, and it gets brighter and brighter until you light the center candle, which is called the Christ candle. So we have a little something for you and your family to do once a week. takes about 15 minutes. It's very meaningful. It's a little Advent reading guide. And finally, um, there's a church, one of our partner churches, the Axis Church in Nashville, has graciously donated um, this book called The Dawning of Indestructible Joy by uh, a friend of ours named John Piper. He's a, he's a wonderful theologian. Uh, many of us uh, have learned from him. And uh, we, we want you to do this. It's just a couple pages. It's like a little tiny book. And it's like one or two pages a day. And what you can do is it's a little devotional to kind of get your mind and heart again and thinking about the coming of Jesus. And so as we do every year at our gathering,
gatherings, we have a special time where um, one family gets up and reads just a little bit about um, the Christmas story and then lights a candle. And so you can see this modeled for us, and then we're going to see other people in our church sending in recordings of them doing it as they're enjoying this incredible um, remembrance thing, uh, Advent wreath, in their homes as well. So with that, this first week, we light the candle of hope. And we are going to read a couple passages. This is what the scripture says in Jeremiah 33. These are the words of the prophets of old. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will fulfill the promise I made to the house of Israel and the house of Judah. In those days, at that time, I will cause a righteous branch to spring up for David, and he shall execute justice and righteousness in the land. There shall come forth a shoot from the stump of Jesse, and a branch from his roots shall bear fruit. Isaiah 11:1. 1. The Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Isaiah 7:14. Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the people. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Isaiah 60, 1 through 3. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. For the creation waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to decay and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves, who have been the first fruits of the Spirit, we groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this we hope, in this hope we are saved. Now hope is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Romans 8, 18 to 25. On this first Sunday in Advent, we light the candle of hope. My friends, this gesture as we consider the coming of Christ, as we light the first candle in the candle of Advent called the candle of hope, points us to the coming Messiah, the coming 
Savior. We're so grateful that you're joining us for this online gathering, and it is my privilege as we wrap up um, our previous series called The um, Households That Change the World. It's my privilege to introduce you to a good friend of mine. Um, her name is Sean Bergs. She is an accomplished um, leader. She has multiple degrees. She has an undergraduate degree, a master's degree. She's working on her doctorate right now. Um, she's uh, got an incredible pastoral word for us as we look at mothers in the household. Greetings, my name is Sean Bergs, and I wanna take a moment to say thank you to Redeeming Hope Church family, to Pastor Josh Young, his beautiful wife, for an opportunity to share in the message today. As we are in this current series, Households That Change the World, we are learning how everyone can join God in his global vision to restore everything. We all exist in a household, no matter the marital status, no matter your family position. If you have a last name, then you are a family unit and therefore a household. You know, modern culture also offers to us very much to be gleaned from in terms of uh, the narratives of what a household should look like. Modern culture, as we know, doesn't always lend to us the godly perspective of living. In fact, most oftentimes it does not. And so the gospel counters the modern secular narrative by stating that marriage, children, and growing households are an act of faith that God is going to restore and that he's going to redeem all things. It's a pleasure and an honor to be able to share with you today in this message what it looks like to be a mother in the household. Mothering is actually a ministry. God has designed motherhood as a part of his greater plan to draw people unto himself. There are multiple passages from scripture that present God's promises Presenting God's promises and empowering every woman every day as she makes disciples in her home, as she makes disciples in her neighborhood and around the world. You see, the current cultural context has said that mothers are claimed to be the shock absorbers of our society. What do I mean by that? They absorb the shock of everything that is happening in and around the home. Mothers are shock absorbers. Perhaps the most urgent need of our era is restoration of the high value of godly mothering. You see, a mother is more often the primary caregiver in a single parent family structure that has risen due to death of a partner, due to divorce, or even unplanned pregnancy. Once what was largely limited to poor women or to minorities has now become something that is the new norm, single motherhood. The absence or the abnormal um, behaviors of the family unit and of the household have now become normal in the space of a pandemic, in the space of political transition, in the space of social injustice, mothers are finding themselves in a really peculiar placement within the home. They're finding themselves seeing that their role within the home is being reshaped. It's also being 
formed differently. It's functioning differently. You see, the cultural, the current cultural context reveals for mothering that a pandemic is forcing, forcing moms out of work. It's forcing moms out of work at a great financial and societal and marital cost. You know, one reporter writes that as a pandemic parent, God calls me to this loud and to this lonely life. Wow, what a thought. Many of us have been pondering what it looks like to be a parent in a pandemic. And as we are grappling, as we are grasping for all of the necessary things that we should be doing, we're finding ourselves in a place of confusion, in a place of frustration, and in a place of anxiety. You see, during the pandemic, mothers of children under the age of 10 are also in dual career couples find themselves being twice as likely as men in the same situation to spend more than five additional hours per day on household responsibilities. The Washington Post reports that when it comes to laboring in the home, that mothers typically find themselves being the essential worker. Mothers find themselves being underappreciated. Mothers find themselves being underpaid. Mothers find themselves sacrificing themselves to the needs of others quite often and typically find themselves resenting the space and the place that they're in. More especially in the year 2021, we are seeing that the household is filled with dread and it's filled with frustration as each party within it tries to find some sense of normalcy. If you're a woman, if you're a mother, if you're a human, you can actually identify with being worn out. You can identify with hectic schedules and busyness. You can identify with frustration. You can identify with the feeling of being overwhelmed. As a mother, every day you meet the emotional and the physical needs of your children, often at the expense of your own. You strive to be a good mother, but the struggle to do everything, oftentimes feeling like it's done on your own, whether it be through the partnership of a spouse or even um, in companionship with other family members, it feels like you're alone and it seems like it's impossible. Why? Because you find yourself taking the brunt of all of the work. You are the essential worker. You find yourself asking, is there any chance of rest? Is there any possibility of finding hope and recovering. You see, sometimes all we want is a moment of peace. All we want is a moment of quiet. No more fighting, no more frustration, no more trying to figure out how this whole thing is supposed to work. You know, this motherhood thing is really, really challenging. The household doesn't really look the way it's supposed to look. There's not enough space. There's not enough time. I don't have enough energy. I'm in one space trying to do everything for everyone. How can I possibly be the best mother? You see, mothers are oftentimes feeling like they're forever failing. And it causes a tremendous amount of frustration. It causes a tremendous amount of pressure and pain. Our spouses and our children become the center of our beings. But you see, there's good news. God desires that we find our identity in him. 
He desires that we find our identity in him so that we can not just be good for others, not just be good for our children and for those who are living in our household, but so that we can be godly for their sake and for his glory. In our text today, we are reading from Titus chapter 2, verse 3 through 5. And it reads, Older women likewise are to be reverent in behavior, not to be slanders or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good and to train the young women to love their husbands, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind, and submissive to their own husbands, so that the word of God may not be reviled. You see, in motherhood, God has given women a significant role in honoring his word through lifelong transformation. There is a blessing in being a mother. There is a blessing in having the amazing opportunity to be such an influence to others. We see here in our text today that Paul writes to a leader in Crete and offers some necessary reminders for the believer. Amidst an immoral culture of the Cretans, Paul explains the ideal traits that a church, that the church, that we should embody. He writes to lend instructions to Christians and their surrounding culture. Through goodness, through peace, we are to make a positive impact so that people can see the Christ in us. And Paul lends some very particular instructions on how we are to do that. You see, we see in verse 3 and in verse 4 that older women are called to mentor younger women through transformed lives. The first ministry that the godly woman is to pursue is the ministry of teaching. We're seeing here in verse 3 and 4 that Paul draws out four examples of mature and transformed lives that we are to live. The first thing he calls out is reverent behavior. This is a call to holy life. It's a call to being set apart, a call to reflect the likeness of Jesus Christ. It says here, older women likewise are to be reverent in behaviors, not slanders or malicious gossips or slaves to wine. The original Greek word that we translate reverence carries a sense of being, a sense of being that is priest-like. That original Greek word says that it's one whose life is fit for temple service, a life that is uncommon, a life that is set apart, a life that is designed for serving Christ. Paul is calling out that the older women are to be reverent in their behavior. They are to have a life that is set apart, one that reflects a life that is Christ-like. He further goes on to speak to them not being slanders. In one version of the Bible, the NASB, it specifically says it has language that says they are not to be malicious gossips. And I wondered as I read this message, as I read this passage, how, why is it that Paul speaks specifically to this caution? Why does he give this specific caution to women? And as I began to ponder and I began to pray on the scripture, I realized that women have a tendency to be loquacious. 
Not, not only are we loquacious, we speak a lot, we often tend to be know-it-alls, and then we oftentimes, even unconsciously, find ourselves putting our mouths on the beings of others in ways that don't glorify God. And so Paul is recognizing in this moment, we're seeing in this scripture, that he's saying to the women of the church to not be malicious gossips. Why? Because your words matter. As a mother, your words matter. He also speaks to not being enslaved to much wine. And so as we are looking here at the cultural context of this scripture, we're seeing here that Paul is speaking to his leader of the, of the Christian church. And he's saying to this leader, you want to encourage them to not be doing these things. Why? Because these are things that were perhaps prevalent within the society, within this immoral space of the time and culture that they were in. We find that it's not much unlike the society and the time and the space and the culture that we currently live in today. So to not be enslaved to much wine, it actually speaks to a specific sentiment, a behavior that we want to make sure that we avoid. You see, an altered state of mind, whether it be with wine or any other thing that alters our state of mind, it draws us further from the Christ-like behavior that God expects us to live in, that Paul is encouraging the church to be in and behave. Having an altered state of mind also taints your witness. It flaws your perspective. It renders an example to others within your home. So we're thinking and we're talking about what it looks like to actually know that we can join in God's global vision for restoring everything. We can actually see how we can play a part in the households that change the world. Well, if we're going to be a household that changes the world, then there are behaviors that we must consider not doing. We don't want to taint our witness. We don't want to flaw our perspective with things that will take us into an altered state of mind. We don't want to render a bad example to our children. So mothers, just as well as your words matter, your actions matter much. They matter very importantly to those whom are watching you, to your children, to your husbands. We see also in this scripture, in verses 3 and 4, teaching what is good, encouraging younger women. He's encouraging here that older women are to teach what is good and that they are to train younger women. The nature of an older godly woman lends to encouragement and it lends to instruction. And may I just pause and parenthetically and state at this juncture that the scripture is not specifically saying old women. It's not specifically saying young women. It's saying older and younger. And so as we translate this, it would be wise for us not to just simply, simply envision someone who is old and elderly or someone who is young and immature. Instead, we are to specifically be looking at the word older, which can possibly mean not necessarily in age, but also in maturity, in spiritual maturity, in experience, in exposure. These are the things that the older woman should be um, considering, or that she can lend, not considering, that she can 
can lend to the younger woman. There's a responsibility to encourage and to teach younger women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be responsible, to be sensible, to be pure, to be workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God won't be dishonored. You see, this entire book lends instructions to the people of the church. It gives so much in terms of what Paul is offering uh, his leaders to teach the church. We, speak, we see exactly what it looks like for how we should behave as believers. And so we see that there is instruction for the older women and how they should be encouraging and how they should be teaching. We see that, but we also see in the scripture that young, younger women are called to maturity through ongoing transformation, and that ongoing transformation happens because they avail themselves to be teachable. Oh, wow. The word teachable, it pierces me. Why? Because I can reflect as an older woman. I can reflect on times in my youth where I've been unteachable. And the fact of the matter is, Paul is saying here to the younger woman that she should avail herself to the teaching of those older women. You see, younger women can benefit from the nurture of an older godly woman in so many numerous ways. And the scripture begins to lay them out. And so let's go through each one of those things. Let's talk about exactly what it is, where it is that Paul is instructing the young woman to be teachable. He first says that she should be teachable in loving her husband and her children. You know, Christ offers the great example of what love looks like to us. Mothers are to love as he did. We're to love selfishly. We're to, I mean, selflessly, not selfishly. We're oftentimes selfish in our loving. Uh, we're oftentimes looking to receive something back. We actually love in a space of reciprocity, but rather than doing that, we should instead, or not, yeah, reciproc reciprocity, looking to receive something back. We want it to be reciprocal. We want our, um, our giving to be rendered a gift, which is the response of others to appreciate us. But you know, Jesus gave us the great example of what we should be, how we should be perceiving this role. We should be selflessly loving. We should be sacrificially loving. We should love our spouses and love our children in ways that show them that really it's not all about what we're expecting to, to gain, but rather what we want to lend into their lives. Mothering can be challenging because it exposes our need for God's grace to change us. We walk into motherhood being one person, but as we become a mother, as we grow and develop in Christ, as we accept the tutelage from older women, as we are teachable and the scripture is, is piercing our hearts, we actually can find ourselves emerging as greater um, God-fearing uh, godly women of the word of God through his grace. Motherhood is difficult because it requires wisdom. It requires courage. It requires humility. And but for the grace of God, we can receive these things through him. 
We also find in the scripture that we are to be self-controlled. You see, the idea here of self-control is to have a good sense of judgment. As a mother, I can think on many times where I had wished that I had practiced more self-control. Whether it be with my temperament and discipline my children, whether it even be with just allowing others to be exposed to the inner turmoil that I'm wrestling with in an unhealthy way, there is a level of self-control that Paul is encouraging us to be willing to exude. And that self-control is important because we shouldn't allow the stress and the feelings of being overwhelmed to cause us to lose it. Oh, how many times have you heard a mother say, man, if these kids, if they don't, if they don't just behave, I'm going to lose it. In the midst of worrying about finances, I'm going to lose it. These kids won't listen to me. I'm losing it. But Paul encourages to the women of the church to be able to teach the younger women to be self-controlled. For us not to sink into ourselves and allow our own feelings, emotions, desires to overwhelm the people that we influence within our households. More often we resound the sentiments of feeling like we're forever failing as the pressure mounts. So as you're feeling like you're forever feeling as the pressure mounts, there is some, there is some hope here. And the hope here is that we are to be honoring God. And as we are honoring God, we can find rest and we can find ease in the space of his grace. Next, we see the language of being pure. Honoring the Lord with our bodies, honoring the Lord with our thoughts, with our desires. We should be passionate about the pursuit of an internal beauty rather than being passionate about what many of us fall victim to. We were passionate about our careers. And that's not to say that you can't have a career. It's not to say that you can't work outside the home. It is to say that your first priority is there. It is to say that we should be passionate about an inner beauty, the inner beauty that comes from knowing God, loving God, submitting ourselves to God. You see, 1 Peter 3 and 4 says that we should nourish the hidden person of the heart with an imperishable quality of a gentle and quiet spirit, which is precious in the sight of God. How many times can we say that we've forgotten the ability to be gentle? There are many times that I can remember being absolutely gentle and loving the result that I get from being gentle with my children. But there are some times that I can reflect on my inability to be self-controlled or to have pure thinking, to be closely connected, intrinsically related to what God is doing in me in that time and space and still be gentle because of who he is within me, even though I might be struggling inside. And I encourage you today that if this is you and you've struggled with the same thing, Paul gives us some wonderful encouraging words. Your words matter. Your actions matter. We can see here that the next thing he encourages is that we be teachable and learning how to be workers at home. You see, your primary ministry is in the home. Your primary ministry 
is in the home. It's where you have the most immediate and direct influence. There is a blessing to be said. There is a blessing to be offered in mothering. There is a call to our lives and how we interact in the home. And may I also say that this is really important when it comes to the word mothering. We really need to understand that that doesn't necessarily just essentially mean uh, that the people we mother are beings that have come from our womb. We mother those in our homes, whether they are adopted children, whether they are spiritually adopted children, people that God has lent to us in our homes and sit under our tutelage, tutelage, people who we are making disciples of. This is a way of how we mother them. It doesn't always have to be a child that you have bared with your body. And so we should be thinking of the fact that those who God allows us to mother within our home are our primary responsibility. Let us not minimize the ministry of motherhood to household responsibilities like washing or cleaning up, like doing dishes or just instructing around the house. It goes way deeper than that. It goes far beyond some remedial task of moving and shaking around the house. Instead, the older women are directed to um, the older women are directed to instruct younger women in this ministry of teaching, in this ministry of directing um, their love towards those people, this ministry of loving in their household, this ministry of loving their children, this ministry of being disciple makers within their home. It goes well beyond just simply washing clothes or making beds or cooking in the kitchen. It goes into the ministry of love. It goes into the ministry of discipleship. You see, you are to foster an environment of encouraging and nourishing those who you have the opportunity to mother. It is a nourishment, it is an encouragement that is based on your love for God and his love for you and therefore your ability through that love to be able to love others. You see, your words, and your actions, they matter. Then next, the scripture encourages that older women should be teaching younger women to be kind. God himself is kind. We see his kindness all throughout scripture. We see his love all throughout scripture. Primary ministry of love and kindness, ministering within your home, is to be model, uh, a model of godliness in your home. That's your primary ministry, to model godliness in your home. Your family should be the first and the greatest beneficiaries of your kindness. You see, the adverse effect can lead to you bruising, to you wounding, to you hurting people at your hands. And you don't want that because your influence means a lot to those who you have an opportunity. We get the opportunity to be mothers to those who are in our household. And that's why our words matter. Our actions matter. And then finally, the scripture says that we are to be teachable in being subject to our husbands. It says older women are to be modeling and encouraging younger women in nurturing a disposition of, submission, of, of a submissive life to God as they are under the loving authority of their husbands. Now, I know, I know, society says that the word submission is a no-no. 
Um, oftentimes, women cringe at the idea of submitting. In this series, you've had an awesome opportunity to see what it is that the father does. We'll learn about what the, what the role is of the husband. There are so many blessings in the partnership of marriage. But here, specifically, in this particular scripture, in this passage, we are seeing that there is a power in a disposition of submissive life, a submissive life to God as we are living under the loving authority of our husbands because marriage was meant to reflect the life of Christ and the church. And as marriage reflects that, we can see that the wife is to be submissive and her submission allows so much room for God's grace to abound within the home. Your words and your actions matter. And my encouragement today is that we don't cringe at the idea of submission because we're willing to submit to God and in God's authority and his loving instruction, we are to submit to those who have authority of us in our natural lives. We support them even in that submission. Though we're doing these, as we're doing these things, our words and our actions, especially our actions of submission, matter to those people who are watching us. It teaches them how they can be submissive in their own lives. You see, success in the home is never to be gauged by the, 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 the status of things that are coming in, whether it be through money or whether it be through your career, power, prestige, stuff. But instead, the success should be gauged by a Christ-like lifestyle full of love, full of compassion, full of hope, full of guidance, full of discipline, full of respect, and full of security. These are the things that the scripture lends to us as we practice these behaviors that Paul is encouraging us to be willing to be teachable through. He's encouraging older women to be able to do these things, to actually teach the younger women what we should be doing. You see, being a mom is a soul craft. Phil Ware says that being a mom, and I quote, being a mom is a soul craft. Moms are partners with God in crafting a child into an adult that is trained and ready to serve him. Wow, what a blessing. What an honor. What a privilege. What a responsibility. And might I offer that we can't we shouldn't. It would behoove us to not walk into this responsibility lacking a willingness to be teachable. Your faith lends a legacy of life in Christ to your family. Your faith lends a legacy of life in Christ to your children. And we see this in the example of Timothy and the testament of his godly mother and grandmother. For, uh, 2 Timothy um, verse, or chapter 1, verse 5 says that I've been reminded of your sincere faith, which was first lived in your grandmother Lois and in your mother Eunice. And I am persuaded that it now also lives in you. You see, there is a generational blessing in you being a woman of faith in you being a woman of discipline, and you being one who is willing to receive all these instructions that Paul is lending to the church at this time. Why? 
because those who you have an opportunity to mother within your household will receive that blessing. Remember that your calling as a mother in the household is of precious value. It is not to be measured against the worldly success, uh, other worldly success measures. You see, we oftentimes measure our success not by what's happening in the home. We take that for granted sometimes. Instead, we often measure our success by what the world says we do well. We measure ourselves, our, our success, by our, career, our careers. We expect the praise to come about with how beautiful we are. Um, we are expecting these worldly measures to mean that we, as we accomplish those things, are successful. But my I petition to you today that your calling to motherhood is precious and it is to be valued far more worth what the world can measure it to be. You see, your quality of life can be found in scripture and it can be measured deeply by what the scripture is encouraging us to do. The attributes of godly women shown here in the text today can surely afford you a more balanced, a more sustainable life in Christ. So all those feelings of anxiety, all the pressure of stress, financial burden, pandemic problems, all those things can really be coddled, can be cradled in the arms of God as you become, as you commit and submit to being a godly woman within your household. We find ourselves under the strain and the pressure of life. Because we're often trying to do it all ourselves. But you see, God hears our cries and he hears the cries of our children too. For Psalms 145 and 13 says that the Lord is faithful to all of his promises. And he's loving toward all that he has made. And so I'm encouraging us today to listen to him, to not be afraid, to come to him because he can give you rest. Trust yourself and your children to him. Because he has heard you, he has declared his love for you, and he understands everything that you go through. You see, motherhood mysteriously takes on many forms. As each person who finds that role to be a part of his or her story, his, uh, a part of her story, works out what it means in her own context, in the face of her own challenges, amidst her own blessings, there is a mystery of all these forms and God controls it all. He lends itself to himself to you in the moments of motherhood. You see, we do motherhood a disservice when we try to take it into our own hands and own it for ourselves. So he says to you from Matthew 11 and 28, come to me. Come to me, all who are weary, all who are burdened, and I will give you rest because he wants you to have abiding rest now in his son, Jesus Christ, even amidst the busyness and the chaos of your daily life. In light of this truth, the good news is that there's nothing that you've done or that you can do to earn God's love and his favor and his rest because Jesus, thank God, Jesus has done it for you. The answers to all of your problems lies in Christ. And here's a final thought. Motherhood is missional in the sense that 
every part of kingdom living, in every part of kingdom living, motherhood is both formational and by forming mothers into the image of Christ, and it is inherently incarnational for the family. This reminds us all that as kingdom people, everything that we do and everything that we say is inherently missional. God is missional towards us. As mothers, we are to be, to be missional towards those within our households. So those of us who cherish the biblical values must be teachable. We must be trainable. We must be willing to teach others and we must be willing to practice these uh, biblical values consistently. Those of us who are mothers, we must see that responsibility of motherhood as a high privilege. It's an honor. It's a blessing. And it is our opportunity now, today, and in this moment to reclaim our role as the shapers and as the supporters of the next generation of leaders and parents to come. May God bless you and your motherhood. And as you participate today in God's plan of redeeming all of the world back into himself, May you be blessed in hearing the scripture, engaging in it, allowing it to pierce your life for the sake of others and for the glory of God. Be blessed. Thank you for listening. We gather every Sunday at the Clarksville area YMCA. For more information, please go to our website at redeeminghope.org.